Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. Welcome to our ongoing series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today, Greg, we're stepping back into our interview sessions. And in a few minutes, we're going to be welcoming in Azume Degun. But before we get to that point, I'd just like to bring everybody uh, up to date that's just joining our, our podcast today. Greg and I have and I have been friends for a very long time, and this is uh, uh, I'm going to do the worst thing you can do in a podcast is put a time frame on this because you never know when it's going to come out. But this is a big week for you, Greg, and uh, you've been a little busy. I have been. Uh, the book launch was this week, which is pretty exciting and surprising. You know, it's uh, Josette, uh, uh, my wife, uh, captured a, a screenshot that at one point I was number one on coaching and mentoring uh, in, in Amazon, which is really uh, uh, surprising and outstanding. My favorite picture, though, was, of course, you know, it's all algorithms, so it goes up and down pretty fast. My favorite picture was a picture where Jim Collins, Good to Great, Brené Brown, and this book called In Search of Safe, Brave Spaces by Greg Smith was there. And I said, yeah, these are my peeps, right? These are like great. So uh, I missed getting that picture, which I'm sure I'll never see again, but uh, I wish I would have got that. That was pretty, that was pretty shocking and amazing. Wow. You and your contemporaries. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, to continue, uh, Greg and I have been managers for a very long time, and we've both benefited from people coming alongside us and, and showing us the way and being our mentors and being just a great example. Uh, we have been hosting this series, uh, dealing with how we and others have missed the mark. And throughout this podcast series, we've realized that there's other experiences that we don't, um, we, it isn't our experience. And we thought it'd be so important to bring in other people to talk about their experiences, to uh, share those experiences, to help us understand and put things into perspective. And, uh, you know, we just want other people to speak into this conversation, to pull up a chair, to uh, talk about these things in the diner, the virtual diner that we are, we are enjoying right now. And uh, as with everything else that we undertake, we just want to have a good, healthy conversation. I think uh, that's going to happen today. Oh, yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. So uh, we kind of have a working title, although the working titles don't always work for us because the conversation goes wherever it needs to go to. But uh, the value and our responsibility to new Canadians in our places of employment. So, Greg, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce our guest. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I'm excited uh, to have Zuma here today. And I was fortunate to be... Um, I think I was listening to a podcast and with another friend of mine had Ola and, uh, and I was so impressed with Azume and I'll give your introduction in two seconds. And I was so impressed and I, I would just by your ideas, your thoughts, your experience. And I thought, Oh my goodness, I, I, I want to talk. I want to talk further. So then I reached out and said, Hey, Azume, you want to be on our podcast? I really loved your thoughts. I'd love to have a further dialogue around this. So before we go to there, uh, Azume is a career development professional with expertise in immigration, immigrant career advisory, cultural intelligence, job search strategies, stakeholder engagement, and diversity inclusion advocacy. With a bachelor's degree in economics and over 12 years of experience spanning banking, government, and not-for-profit, she has an avid interest in seeing new immigrants settle in Canada. In her current role, she leads a team that helps immigrant professionals leverage the power of mentoring in their job search while also helping managers and employers harness a global talent pool locally. She recently completed an advanced certificate in leadership from the University of Alberta 
And we are so excited about having you here, Azume. And this is something that's also passionate in my heart, having been on the board and supportive of a refugee settlement uh, house in, uh, in um, Toronto. So, so excited. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, thank you, Alistair. And thank you, Greg, for having me. I, you know, I always welcome the opportunities to have the kind of conversations that we're going to have today. So, yeah. Well, and this is such an important aspect, and we'll talk further, I'm sure, about this, is that, you know, Canada has a, a significant need for talented, experienced um, uh, uh, folks to, to help continue the growth of the country and to move us uh, forward. And uh, this is such a tricky space, but we're gonna, we're gonna get into some of those discussions. But what we wanted to do is to begin with a little bit of, we always like to begin with uh, what this podcast is about is kind of learning about what are our experiences of great managers that have helped us really discover uh, our strengths and bring our full selves uh, to the table. I'm not even sure if this is actually one of the questions and you know that we we have on our list, but Greg zooms uh, um, uh, to different areas. So uh, I'd just like to start out by saying, so what are your experiences as a woman um, in, in, the, in the workplace or just as an individual or as a, as a young person coming up in, in the workplace? What are some of the highlights of the things that were most important that helped you to become where you are? Uh, and maybe some of the things that got in the way that weren't great experiences, but you learned from. Oh, you know what? I think that in the, in the context of today's conversation, I wear a few hats. First off, I'm a woman, then I'm a woman of color, and then I'm an immigrant professional. So I think that it just the, and, and of course there's 5 million other hats that I wear in my day-to-day -day life, but for the context of this conversation, those are the three hats that I'm, I'm wearing today. I hope you can uh, figure it, see those hats. Um, but I thought to highlight that just so that you see that um, my, my conversation and, and the responses will come from that context. Um, now, when I look back on my career journey um, from, you know, prior to moving to Canada. And now that I've been in Canada, I've had good, really good bosses. I've had um, managers and then I've had not so great managers. And then I've had managers that I thought, you know, um, no, I'm not excited about this one. But um, I think that one thing that I've always managed to, you know, flip the script in every situation I have been is I have realized a long time ago and I continue to you know focus on the fact that I'm responsible for me my actions my responses and so I won't always get a chances I won't even have a, a say in who or what my manager or who my manager is or what my manager does uh, but I always choose that regardless of who my manager is I'm responsible for my actions I have a mental game plan for my work for my career my work, I've always said it as my work is my, is my currency of transaction is how I see it. I transact, so therefore the quality of my work is important to me. So I'm not going to think, okay, I could do better if only I had a better manager. And, and that, there are cases where that's, you know, that happens, but I'm taking responsibility for me because I can control what me, uh, what I do and, and how I react. So that's usually how I see it. Now, that being said, when I look at my journey here in Canada in particular, 
I think that I've had the blessing of really great managers, uh, case in point, my current manager um, and the ones, the few others that I've had. But over and beyond that, I think that the reason that I've been able to overcome a few challenges um, or, you know, not have to jump through some loops that other immigrant professionals jump through is because I've had mentors and I have learned very quickly the value of networking. Um, don't want to ramble, but maybe we'll get into all of that later. But I hope that answers that question. It does. And you know what? I love a couple of things. One is in our podcast, we, we, we look at it from two perspectives. We look at it from the perspective of if you are a manager, what are the things that you can be thinking about and doing differently? What are the best practices you can move forward? But equally, we put times on uh, if you're a team member, what are you can what can you do? And you know, there's a shared responsibility in our successes and in working through our challenges as well. And and so we try to bring that out. So I just love that you brought that out in in the in the first place. And I, and I also really appreciate you bringing all three of the hats uh, of your many hats that are there uh, forward and really looking forward to those perspectives of uh, of. Um, of uh, from all all avenues, and so as you think about it, is is there anything that stands up when you think about those leaders? Is there something either a common thread of what they did to create the space for you to grow and learn and be successful? Are there any common threads that you recognize that boy in in all of them? These were some things that they did that really helped enable me to be successful. Oh yes. Um, so first off, I realized. Um, that the, the managers that I had that were really awesome managers, when I, in retrospect, when I put things in context, those managers were less managers, more leaders. And uh, on the flip side, the managers that I thought could do better were more managers, less leaders. And, and just in my own journey, uh, I've come to realize that there is a difference between being a manager and a leader. And the, the managers who have been leaders um, to me and helped me to learn to lead self have themselves demonstrated what it is to lead lead by leading themselves one, lead by understanding that they are a piece of the puzzle in the workplace and that every piece is just as important and that you don't want to uh, take credit for all everything that happens because it wouldn't happen without um, your team. And so that's a common thread that I find with the people who have stepped up as, who you know stand up in my mind as good leaders. They have understood that the rest of the team is very important. They're, they're there to lead the team, but there wouldn't be a team to lead um, if there's no team to lead, you know, sort of what, if they can't do it on their own. And then they have un understood as well that, and that's something I'm learning in my own leadership journey, that everybody has different work styles. That's something that I'm learning. Um, I may get it done right now, get it out of the way person. And I've had to work sometimes with people on my team who are, um, I, I know my deliverables, just know that I'll give you your, you know, when, when I need it. So a quick example is if you ask me to turn in something on Friday and today is Monday, for example, I would try to do it today, tomorrow ish, and then let it sit. And then maybe I'll look at it on Wednesday and then I'll have it ready for you on Thursday. But then I've also found that there are people who will not touch it until Thursday night and then still turn it in on Friday. So there's, you know, everybody has a leadership, uh, sorry, a, a work style. 
And that's something that I found that in the managers that I've worked with previously, they understood everybody's strengths and they tried to play into it and leverage it. So that's one thing. And then another thing was they were selfless. They were not afraid to see me rise. They were not afraid to, they didn't feel like, oh, she's coming for my job. They, they supported me to say, I think even in at times when I thought, oh my God, I can't do that. I got put on the spot a few times by my managers and it wasn't from a bad place. It was from a good place because they saw things in me that at that time I didn't see. And they knew they just had to thrust me into the limelight of some sort and I would just figure out what to do. And that's really what happened. So those are key things that I've realized in my journey. The managers that I've had have been selfless. They've, you know, believed in, in you know, their team members and they've um, understood the different work styles of people and tied everything together. I love that. And you know what, I'm, I'm probably one of those people that would come to you uh, on Thursday, I would get really excited. I need a short deadline to really get my creative flow going. And then I get it done. Alistair's laughing because, you know, we work together and Alistair's probably more aligned to your approach than to my approach. He's nodding away. And, and, but it is the power of that, the power of, of differences. And uh, the book I just wrote, this whole idea of safe, brave spaces is an idea of as leaders, uh, those are two critical roles that we play. And you just described a couple of great examples. Safe is by creating a, a place where I can discover myself, learn, my, learn what my gifts are, learn what my contribution is and have strength in that and confidence. And brave is uh, nudging, providing those. And I love that beautiful example of putting a, a, a you in a place where you had to shift, you had to step into something that might've been a little bit uncomfortable, but it really helped you unveil even more of yourself and such a powerful component thinking of those two together, uh, some beautiful examples. And this power of diversity of thought and approach and experiences has been the thing that's been on my heart a lot of people uh, bring different viewpoints based upon their work style, based upon their cultural experience, based upon their gender, based upon their journey from a sexual orientation perspective, whatever, all those things create a unique contribution. And your beautiful example of leadership is seeing what does someone bring to this table that will help us see more broadly and you know, guess what? Most of the more broadly is going to get us if we're selling something or servicing something is going to get us a better view of who we are serving and supporting. And so it just is, it's, it's always been on my mind, uh, a duh, yeah, of course this is a thing to do, but I know we get stuck in our ruts and we lose sight of that. And I think your description of leader is, is really amazing. Uh, the opposite, I'm just curious, because I love those two definitions, the manager side. What, what, what is your description of when you've seen these, uh, what you call the managers who aren't leaders? What, what, are the, what, what, what are the experiences that you have within that space? Okay, um, so don't take my definition to the bank, but <laughs> my thinking when I say someone that I would rather classify as a manager than a leader is someone who is more um, results oriented than people oriented. I find that you got to find that balance between results and people. You need results to sustain the business or whatever it is that you do, but you do need people to get those results. Now, if you do have an overemphasis on, uh, if you're skewed towards results at the expense of people, then you will get that result, but is it really worth 
the people and the, you know, just the camaraderie that you've lost in the team, you'll have results, but you won't have happy, you won't have a happy team. And that's something that I find that the people who I'd rather refer to as managers, that's where they, um, they, they lost, um, lost me or lost focus or lost uh, uh, sight of the targets. It was just, I am a big results person. Like I said, my work uh, is my currency of transactions. So it's important to me that I do great work. Um, I like my work to be that when somebody sees my work, even if I'm not there, they can tell that Azume did this just by the quality of it. So I'm not by any means saying that we should tone down on the quality of work. I'm just saying that we put work and people on the same pedestal. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. Mm, that's great. And I, and I actually think, uh, you know, much of the writing you see now as we've gone to um, remote, as, we're, as we've gone through this tremendous uh, period of churn and con inner conflict and all kinds of things, that that shift, that balance is so much more critical now. Um, and there's a lot of managers out there that, that are really struggling because they have not been equipped. They, they have not been supported in, in really strengthening that people aspect of it. And guess what? That's what's going to take us forward out of this current crisis and into the growth that we're going to be heading into shortly. So that's a, a beautiful definition. Uh, thanks so much. I, I love that. I'm going to, I've been making notes. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to write a book and then me and you are going to be competent for algorithms on uh, Amazon. Yeah, well, hey, maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll, and then we'll tour together. Yeah, we, yeah well, let's, let's go for it. <laughs> and, and, and then I'll produce your podcast together. So we're all good. We're all, we're all part of the party. Look, we have a plan. Is that, that, uh, Zuma, you're excited because we're moving forward and, and Maya, that's awesome. I am excited. <laughs> Quick question, Azume. Uh, you're Alberta-based, are you? I am. So uh, this is a very important question. Are you an Edmonton person or are you a Calgary person? I like how you made the distinction. <laughs> I'm an Edmonton person and personally I'm not... <laughs> There is a there's a sibling rivalry rivalry rather that happens between Edmonton and Calgary. We're just uh, twins who, you know, what there are days where we love each other and then days where we can't stand each other. But I'm an Edmonton girl. Y E G hashtag. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much for that. We're going to accommodate Greg during the rest of this call, so that's awesome. So we are very uh, kind. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a question. Um, and, and this, I'm going to put in the word Canadian, but for all our listeners internationally, and I'd like to welcome Helsinki, Finland into the family because uh, somebody there started downloading some of our episodes. So I don't know any Finnish. So I'm just going to say, hey, welcome to the party. So uh, what advice would you give based on your experience? And I really appreciate, uh, you know, what you represent in this podcast, because it, it's something that uh, Greg and I can't speak to. Uh, based on your experience, what would help managers and leaders? And I like the distinction in, 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 in your conversation with Greg so far about that. And it really resonates with me. Uh, how can leaders and managers realize the value of new Canadians? Because um, as Canadians, we know we need like 200, 250,000 new immigrants every year to keep our economy going minimum uh, and create an environment to accelerate their participation and impact within the workplace. Um, 
maybe to start things off, we should define what we mean by new Canadians. And I and I know that I'm doing a lot of defining, you know, throughout the conversation, but it helps people to get context. Um, now, when we talk about new Canadians, for the purpose of this conversation, um, I'd, I'd hate to put a broad brush on new Canadians uh, generally, because there's several streams of new Canadians. And even though there's similarities and the challenges that they face, uh, there's also challenges that are unique to each stream. And in my role, my work is focused mainly on immigrant professionals. And these are people who have applied to come to, to Canada and the application is based off their education experience and expertise. And so I will be speaking to these or four, allow me to use the word for this, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, speaking about this, this group of uh, Canadians. And that being said, I think that sometimes managers and leaders struggle to realize the value or to adequately support new Canadians in the workplace because they we all have a <clears throat> worldview that is based off of our several different factors you know it could be our uh, gender our race our culture where we're born several different things now let's say for the typical Canadian manager who's been born here raised here he or she would see things from that lens. That's how they would see it. And it's, it's not a deliberate um, exclusion of anything else or anyone else or any other view. It's just that is their default setting. It's we're human, right? Now, what happens is as humans, we tend to gravitate towards what is familiar. And by gravitating towards what is familiar, we're gravitating away from what is unfamiliar. And so just that unfamiliarity with... Um, the new Canadians and you know, their work style and, and how they, um, what they bring to the table. I think that's the struggle. So the first step I would say with accommodating um, new Canadians in the workplace, professional immigrant professionals is understanding that these people have been vetted. They, they have come here, applied to come here, been approved to come here based on the strength of their education experience and expertise. So usually we shouldn't be questioning those factors. We shouldn't be talking about, you know, um, how good their education or their experience. No, I don't think that we should be debating that. They might struggle with integrating into the Canadian workplace because it's different. But the thing is, even if you're hiring someone who's had their education and training here in Canada, you would still have some work to do with integrating that person into your workplace. So you do have work to do, either it's a new Canadian or it's a not so new Canadian. It's just a different type of work with each person. So my, my, my foundation of you know, being uh, welcoming to new Canadians in the workplace is understanding that difference is not a bad thing. We can le leverage the difference. Um, being open-minded and being flexible and say, okay, um, I will teach you what it is you don't know. Um, and hopefully the other person on the other end is receptive to you know, your teachings. And I like to balance it by saying that we have equal responsibility in terms of the managers and the worker, the team members. So I'm not gonna exclude those, uh, the team members who are, you know, the new Canadians who are coming. I, I, my conversation with my clients is usually around making sure that you're fulfilling your end of the back game, uh, because that's when you can hold somebody else accountable for fulfilling or not fulfilling their own end of the back game. So just understanding difference, understanding that we can <clears throat> leverage difference um, 
and understanding that either way we're going to have to work you're going to have to work with your team members so whether they're new or not so new there is work to be done with your team members maybe different different type of work but there is work to be done with each team member i really like that and and i like your perspective because it, uh i've never really heard it laid out that way before and it's just a kind of an aha moment for me because this type of conversation or uh, when you're integrating somebody new into your team uh, i even actually equated it to Greg and I working together because we are very different people. We have a very different work experience. And one of the things uh, I've enjoyed about working with Greg on this and some other projects is I definitely have a point of view. I have a, a set of experiences that I draw upon and education I draw upon it. And we are very different. Like we, we I don't know if we, if there's an extent that we could be more different, but certainly um, one of the things that I really appreciate and what I've learned to value is that I certainly have an opinion about absolutely everything, but I love the opportunity when we're talking. Now, in this situation, Greg and I are equals. We're, we're, we do this together, uh, but I love, you know, I'll, you know, what do you think about this, Greg? And just getting that other point of view that I've come to respect and, and uh, uh, actually ex you know, expect uh, to hear because it, I think it makes a better project. And I love the idea of, a new Canadian coming in, a professional like you deal with, coming in with their own set of experiences and just the value of the manager leveraging that. You use the word leverage. And I love that because you don't know who you're going to be working with the next day. Maybe it's uh, an entity or an organization from the country where this worker comes from. And all of a sudden, you know, you're dealing with a, a different economy, a different culture, perhaps language issues. And you now have somebody on your team that can give you some guidance and, and, you know, at one point, maybe even lead the effort to help get a successful uh, business arrangement, whatever you do. And I, I just love that idea of, of, of leveraging people because, you know, the world's getting smaller and smaller. It's so easy to talk to people. Now the pandemic has made a forced us to talk on all sorts of different platforms. And I just love that perspective. And I, I know, a, I, I know a group of people who are newer to Canada. There are professionals. And I, when they talk, I just, I don't say anything. I just listen. I go, wow, that's, I really like listening to their perspective and their views on coming to this country and what they like and some things they'd like to see change within their workplaces, within society. So I really, really like your perspective on this. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And there's something else that uh, you've mentioned here. I think Greg mentioned already today. And in reading over your bio and uh, in taking a bit of a dive into your LinkedIn profile, there's a word that keeps popping up all the time. And Greg and I love this word. And we have been benefited from it. And we realize the responsibility of this word. And that's the word mentorship. It seems to be a huge uh, theme in your professional life. Oh, yes. Mentorship is a big deal to me. Um, in my professional life, I've, it's worked for me and I'm um, working every day with connecting people to mentors in their field. So immigrant professionals to mentors in their field. Um, mentoring is essentially um, the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of somebody else. Um, in my home country, we say that uh, what the Elder sees when they're seated, the young person doesn't see even when they're on the rooftop. The idea is that experience will teach you some things that, you know, time and experience will teach you some things that 
having all the education and degrees will probably not teach you. And that's where you want to leverage, again, I use that word, mentorship. And when you move to Canada as an immigrant professional, you have this portfolio of all that you've achieved and all that you're bringing to the table, but it can be discounted when you're trying to get into the workplace, the workforce. There's people who see it, acknowledge it, but may not count for as much as you thought it would. Um, and that's where I, the gap that I think that mentoring bridges. Mentoring is that gap between I'm trying to get into the workforce and I'm actually in the workforce. That middle is mentoring where you have someone who's walked the path that you're walking, someone who can say, okay, no, jump, go on that, go over. It's like an obstacle course where you're uh, blindfolded and you have a mentor who's saying, doc, and then jump and then fly because they've run that course before and they have hindsight and they're trying to help you not to bump your head. Hopefully you listen. Um, but that's what mentoring is. And it's worked so far for me in, in so many ways. And people wanna, very often people ask me, but I thought you moved to Canada just a few years ago. How are you able to have come this far in such a short time? And there's two things I say to them. It's mentoring and it's networking. I will not be able to talk about mentoring without talking about networking. Um, mentor, one of the myths that I think white people think, oh, I, 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 you know, I don't, maybe I'm not ready for a mentor or I don't, I don't have access to a mentor is because people think that for a mentorship relationship to be uh, effective, it has to be uh, a one-on-one -on -one connection. I think that's the first meet that we should probably de be debunking. Is it better to have a one-on-one -on -one connection with a mentor? Yes, so your mentor knows you and you know your mentor. Yes, I would certainly advocate for that. But in situations where uh, you're not able to personally connect with someone who you'd like to mentor, I would usually say to my clients, then you can have a almost like a psychic connection with them. So you want to be reading about them. You want to learn about them. You want to read articles they've written, join webinars that they host. You want to draw and tap from them. While you're doing that, you're also trying to find, a, you know, a, an actual physical connection with a mentor. And while you're doing that, you're also networking. Because what happens when immigrant professionals move to Canada is they have, as I've been saying, all of this education, experience, and expertise, but they don't have a professional network. Because, you know, back at home, they went to uh, grade school with someone, high school with somebody else, university with somebody else, they go to church with someone, go to, you know, mosque or whatever, cousins and cousins of cousins, they have a network, even though they didn't deliberately build that network. Now, when they come here, it's, I don't know nobody, but maybe two friends. And so if you're not, if you don't have a strategy for networking um, and building that network, then you're shortchanging yourself. And mentoring, uh, sorry, networking and mentoring, they're like um, bank accounts. You want to build them before you need them. You can't be making withdrawals of, on an account in which you haven't put any credit into it. So, and you want to, uh, when you want them, so think of it like this. If you need something from someone and that's when you're connecting and you're asking for help in that regard, what are the chances that you'll actually get them to help you? But if you've built that over time, um, and you need help and you reach out, then the chances are higher that you actually get someone to respond to you and help. I love that. I love that. I love talking about mentorship and, uh, Greg and I, uh, 
I mean, a lot of this podcast is, is all about those types of things, right? And and we've had a couple discussions uh, amongst the two of us uh, online about mentorship. And there's times when you do have those uh, formal mentorships where, you know, maybe you meet on, on occasions over a period of time. But what I've also valued is, is sometimes you have a mentor and it's very transactional. You you have a, a, maybe one or two conversations with them or you see them at a conference and you sit down, you have a really good 20 minutes. And, and I really... I like your idea about, you know, going out and listening to them talk to people. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with them, but you're benefiting from their experience. And I, I, I like the idea of not being hemmed in with what our definition of, of uh, mentorship is. And, and maybe it is just that 15 minute coffee you have with somebody and, and you get some benefit from that. And, and I really think that, you know, that's so important for us to realize that we need to take a look at what our definition of mentorship is and its relationship with networking. I've never heard that before. And uh, I think that's just really, really good. Thank you. Um, And I could maybe just talk about another myth that I like to debunk um, about mentoring. And that is that your mentor has all the answers. Your mentor does not have all the answers. That's, that is usually for, for a lot of people, that's like, wow. So why, why, I need answers. If they don't have all the answers, then why? But the thing is, there's no not one human who has all the answers. And for mentoring to be effective, you have to give it 100% and then some. You have to do a, quite a bit of introspection. What am I hoping to achieve? What am I hoping to gain from this? How am I going to go about this? What, what are my goals? And I, with my clients that, at work, I usually would say, don't just think these things, actually write them. And if you think that can be just, um, you know, modeled up thoughts, then I think I know what I think. But when you have to actually uh, verbalize or articulate them, then you're forced to give a proper thought and like, okay, so if this is what I want to achieve, then what am I doing to get there? Or why am I doing this? Because this is certainly not going to get me there. And when you go into a mentoring relationship with that kind of self-awareness, half the work is done for your mentor. They'll be even more invested in supporting you because you've made it easier for them. Um, And then, you know, last but not the least, when it comes to your mentor having all the answers, like I said, they don't have all the answers. My suggestion would be to find one mentor for one area of your life, at least one. So find a mentor, a career mentor, find a business mentor if you run a business find a family mentor if you have a family that way you're able to take bits and pieces of you know all the strengths that they have and then you're able to build yourself this really beautiful house of your life yeah zume you cut out just for a moment there and i think it was actually a very critical point so i think what you were saying was it's so important to write down stuff before you go and talk to your mentor about you know what what you have questions with where you want to go um and things like that is that the part that we missed out there i'm not sure what you missed out but i'm just going to reiterate that so i was saying that um having a roadmap for yourself at least having a plan helps your mentor uh on in the mentoring journey and that roadmap isn't just oh i know in my head or i i know what i think when you are forced to write down your thoughts, um, when you have to verbalize and articulate what you're thinking, then you, first off, you, when, it, when you write it down and it doesn't look good to you, imagine what it's gonna look like to your mentor. And so you have to do some polishing and feel like, okay, I need to sound like I know what I'm saying. So do I really know what I'm saying? Um, and when you do that, uh, it takes half, that's half of the journey. You've taken off, you know, 
half of the work of your mentor's sh uh, shoulders and they're better able to deliver value to you that way. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, I also love that because I think that sometimes, at least for me, when I do write it down, it helps actually get it clear in my head. Because sometimes I'm not really clear in my head. And actually by writing down, you're right. Sometimes they go, oh, that's not what I was thinking. What am I really thinking? And then that massaging of it to get get it to it. You don't have to be perfect, but clarity enough that then I can bring it forward is is really a powerful, uh, a powerful thing to do. It's a great exercise. I love that. Um, one of the things I also loved earlier you talked about is that, you know, we all have our parameters, our ruts, our frameworks that we're in based upon our experiences where we've been born and raised and, uh, you know, whatever our situation is, we have these learned that this is what is right. And, and so we have blind spots that we don't see and those things. And sometimes we mess up because we... Uh, we enter into the space and if we're not curious, if we're not really saying, hmm, what can this person bring? What is their experience? Uh, we mess up. And so I wondered if, if you have any advice to managers who are listening to it right now or managers on their way to leaders that are listening to the conversation right now that are thinking, oh, yeah, 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 I messed up that last conversation. How do you recover? What are the ways in which when you do misstep, um, in whoever we are, what are the, what are some of the insights and ideas you've had of how do you help recover? Cause sometimes from recovery, beautiful things can happen. Uh, but it's, it's recognizing it, but what would be your thoughts? Um, so in the past few years, I've done increased work in, uh, the space of diversity and inclusion and equity and all of that good stuff. And I'd like to start with the foundation of, we don't all have all the answers. And I like to lead with that because especially as a, someone that works in diversity and inclusion, when I come into a room, these days a virtual room, people think she knows everything. She's gonna tell me everything I need to know. No, I don't have all the answers. I know I'm not gonna tell you everything that you, you, know, you need to know, but I'm going to help you to start that journey to um, understanding you know, just the strengths of everybody and how we can put together those strengths and, and do it for the betterment of the team and for everybody. Now, that being said, as a manager, um, working towards being a leader, the first thing you want to acknowledge is that you will slip up. I know that's, you don't, nobody wants to think about it. I, it's hard, but you will slip up. There are times that you make mistakes and, and the first thing when you do sleep up is, is to acknowledge, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. How do I fix this? And even before you slip up, what you could also be doing is asking questions, seeking knowledge. If you, you know, when myself and my family wanted to move to Canada, one of the beautiful things that uh, literally talked at our heartstrings was the multiculturalism of Canada. It's just, just everybody is from somewhere, first, second or third generation. It's beautiful to see. Yeah, right. But now when that translates into the workplace where you have a team, a team with 10 people from 10 different backgrounds in court, it can be chaotic. And it is not fair to put the pressure on any manager or leader to be, you know, to know everything about those 10 people's backgrounds. That's not fair. But as a manager and as a leader, you want to preempt yourself by asking questions. Right. And with so a lot of the time I say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So when you, when you approach conversations by asking questions and, and saying, you know what, I, I'm hoping not to offend you, but I'm just wondering, this is this and this is that. Do you want to tell me about this? Do you want to 
explain this to me and let them know that you're actually just seeking knowledge so that everybody can work better. You're not, it's not judgment. It's not, you know, they, most people will be, you know, uh, willing to have that conversation with you. I've had several of those conversations. I find them to be very enlightening and it helps to debunk our biases and bias is not a bad thing. Not necessarily. Um, but bias that's uh, not addressed is that's when it becomes, you know, a problem when you don't address your bias. Because we're we're humans, we're born with bias. I, I mean, I am biased, everybody is towards one thing or the other. Um, and, and, and the truth is when you gravitate to, towards something more than the other, you are inadvertently biased against the other thing. That's just that's the maths of it, that's the plus and the minus of it. Um, but when you recognize that, okay, I have a tendency to do this and to you know, move this way or that way, then you realize that, okay, I should probably be trying to find the balance. And so when you, you, you seek knowledge, that's the first thing, seek knowledge and ask questions and take all that you're learning and put into practice and create opportunities within the team to have those conversations. It could be simple things like um, Talk about your culture today at work. So each, each, if you have uh, meetings every week, every Monday, for example, it could be, we have people from five countries on this team. So for the next five weeks, we're going to have 10 minutes where um, Jack tells me about his, this culture and John tells me about the other culture and Janet tells me about, you know, and so we get a chance to, so that when somebody does something, you put it in context and say, okay, the other day they talked about this. It's simple things like, um, not looking people in the eye to the typical Canadian that can come off as shady but where I am from that is actually respectful when when someone is in a position of authority and uh, you respect them you don't look them in the eye and so if I'm in the workplace constantly avoiding eye contact with my boss who especially if, just imagine if I was in a position where I was dealing with money and numbers and accountants and I was in charge of money moving in and out and I'm just it looks like I'm sneaky because I'm not looking you in the eye. Do you imagine what my boss is thinking in his head and it's okay, should I be worried? Should I be double checking all the auditing? You know, so things like that. I know that I've gone on and, and on about that, but there's there's a lot to unpack uh, in that question. And I don't think we have the time for that today. I, I, I love your comments though. And two things are bubbling up. One is a famous quote that says, uh, I think it was, I don't know, Roosevelt or something. He said, before your team will care to know, they need to know you care. And I, I love that uh, quote. And you talked a lot about of how do I get to know people and understand people? And a couple of your ideas were so powerful. I always tell the story of when I was uh, younger, one boss, and we were culturally from a similar background, but even visually, I would have conversations with him. And when I'd be most passionate, he would look away and I would think I'm losing him. So I would, I, I start going harder and harder and harder. And, and at finally I had the courage to say, his name is Phil. And I said, Phil, you know, every time I'm talking to you and I'm really passionate about something, you look away and I, I, I don't understand, am I losing you? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, when I'm most engaged, I look away because that allows me to focus and think and I'm really child. So sometimes even your beautiful example of, of what does looking at the eyes mean? Like what, help me understand who you are, what's important. Are there things that I need to know? And if you're seeing something, be authentic and real and say, hey, uh, both as a leader and as a team member to be able to say, hey, I'm noticing, I'm not sure, here's how I'm interpreting, is that 
true. And you can open it up into such a more powerful thing because we can spin. So I, I just loved your examples. And, and you're right. As you can tell, I'm as passionate. We could talk for, uh, for hours. We may have to have a second interview, a second podcast to dive deeper into a couple of these comments. So sure, that's fine. Let me know. Now we're writing a book. We're having a second interview. <laughs> we have great plans. We're going on tour. Look out, man. <laughs> that's great. And you know, we haven't said this word in probably about 20 episodes. So I'm gonna say when you when you talked about, you know, perhaps people highlighting the culture they come from over a series of weeks, you know, within the team. One thing that I fell into, and I didn't think it up, but we haven't said the word potluck in I don't know how many episodes, and I know people are missing us talking about potluck, but what I found that having worked on some very diverse teams, one of the way that the culture could come out in the understanding and just getting a flavor, uh, pardon the use of the word, of, of people's experience was to have a potluck and somebody would bring an Indigenous a dish and of course I'll try anything right and I, I really liked that way of approaching culture because uh, all cultures speak through their food and and you'd sit there oh what's this okay oh this is your mother's recipe it's been handed down okay and you just get into it and you get so much information from people because it's a casual setting people relate to it and you're basically sitting around a table talking about everything that's good and so I really really love that type of thing uh, that's just awesome um, I, I see you know I'm very conscious of the time that you've put aside for us so I was wondering if we could step into kind of some final thoughts so Azume do you have any final thoughts for our listeners um, oh, we've, we've touched on quite a few things, but my final thoughts would be um, realizing that as individuals, team members, team leaders, team managers, you don't know everything. And, and that understanding that you, you are not perfect, you don't know everything will help you to be inquisitive and to be curious. Now, when you're inquisitive and curious, you're seeking out knowledge. And when you have knowledge, uh, I think that when people know better, they do better. So as uh, individuals, regardless of you know where you are on that team structure, it's important to seek knowledge. Um, as an immigrant professional, you know, want, want to seek knowledge and understand, um, you know, how things work in Canada. As a as a leader in, in a team in in a Canadian workplace, you want to seek knowledge about how to um, tie things together and make sure that everybody on your team feels welcomed and valued. Uh, one of the, the terms that I like to use very often is unlearning, learning, and relearning. Uh, a lot of the time, as individuals, we have imbibed certain things and traits that are, like I mentioned earlier, they're a default setting. Um, we just, that's how we are. And so we have to make a deliberate effort to unlearn a few things. It's like, okay, maybe I should not be doing this. Now that I have acknowledged that I shouldn't be doing this, what should I be doing? And now that I know what I should be doing, how should I be doing it? So it's a circle. I don't think that uh, there's an end point. Uh, you unlearn, then you learn, and then you relearn. And everybody, there, there's no end point. There's no, okay, I reached the bus stop where I kind of, I've, I'm, you know, I'm going to hop off the bus now. It's a, it's a lifetime ride, I think. Thank you. Uh, Greg? Wow, there's so much here. Uh, you know, I just, I, just, I just think it reflects the power of curiosity, which you've said, and the power of tapping into uh, the fullness of each of us and what we can bring. Uh, there's just so many, I, I've, got, I've got notes here, like I was writing like, like crazy. I love that the, the elder sees more sitting down than the, than the young person on the roof. That one is just, and how the power of mentorship, why that one's gonna, 
that was so this has just been really helpful um challenging and encouraging so i um i uh, i i i'm uh, i uh, i'm full thank you for your insights i'm glad to share knowledge as uh, and learn i learned a lot today i think uh the word that is coming into my mind is the word intention and I really like uh, that word in the context that we've been talking today, because we are imperfect, we all have biases. And I think if we go into situations, if, if we develop new relationships with people or groups, that it's that intention uh, that we bring into the conversation, as clumsy as we may be, that it, it's just so good. So thank you very much. And uh, folks, I, I, we're going to wrap up kind of quickly here this, mor this morning, but uh, Greg's new book is out. You got to get it. I'm going to put in the show notes how you can get it. Check out his website. He's all over the place. So uh, we hope uh, some of what we've spoken about today you find helpful. I hope that you didn't find anything we spoke of offensive or made you angry. But Greg, just very briefly, your your philosophy here. I think it, it lands perfectly in this episode. Yeah, I agree. Well, one of my, one of my favorite, uh, as a coach and as from my original coach, you know, I knew that the sessions were always great when I left with a little bit of joy and a little bit of churn. Because, and that's what we hope to create in our podcast. The joy is, boy, I am on the right track. I am doing some good things. I'm feeling great about that. The churn is where you feel a little of that unlearning that you uh, you may have talked about Azumi. The things that are saying, mm, uh, boy, I'm maybe not doing, and both are great, but it's what you do with them. Both taking the joy further or learning from the churn and doing something different. Um, so we hope that there's a little bit of joy, a little bit of churn in today's podcast. I'm certain there is within me, so I'm certain there is uh, within others. Thank you so much, Azumi, for joining us. And for the people listening to us, remember, take the time with the people you work with. They're an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care. Bye now.